Hello and welcome to So You Think You Can Rule Persia, the podcast where we rate and review all the kings of Persia from Diochis to Yazdegerd III. I'm Serial, and my pronouns are they, them. And I'm Umberto, my pronouns are he, him. Okay, so welcome to episode 9, Xerxes I, sometimes called Xerxes the Great. We'll get to decide Ooh. if that's an appropriate name, and we'll see how that goes. Wait, sometimes? Only sometimes? Sometimes. I'm not sure why Wikipedia calls him Xerxes the Great sometimes in certain sections of it. Mm. I haven't heard it very often. I see. To be fair, there is a Xerxes II, so it's fair to have some distinction, but I don't think Xerxes II deserves that. So we'll see. I will just put the great and then a question mark. Yes, we'll decide at the end if we think it's worth calling him the great or just, yeah, Xerxes, number one. Oh, this will be fun. Okay, I'm ready. Yes. So what happened last time? Let's recap for everyone here because that was a long episode about Darius. So Darius took the throne from Bardia, murdering him, probably the legitimate king. Then Darius had to fight all the empire at the same time, having to reconquer everything and rebuild the empire in his image, restructuring all the bureaucracy and ensuring roads, canals, public buildings, trade, money, weights and measures, everything of that sort. Yeah, he rebuilt. Well, not really rebuilt. He did everything. <laughs> yes, that is correct. He created the stuff. Yes, he made I'm sorry, all... <laughs> I don't know what to put it. He made everything, and, well, now the empire is nice and clean and shiny and reset and ready to go for a new century. One of the other things he did, though, is an invasion of Scythia up in, into Europe, so now the empire has extended into Europe as well. And his last mission was a revenge mission against the European Greeks, among which are the cities of Eritrea and Athens. Eritrea was destroyed... But unfortunately for us, Athens managed to win the Battle of Marathon and put the invasion on pause. But like we said, Athens is just a small city and probably nobody will remember it ever, just like Erythria. Yeah, exactly. Which is why Darius, he was going to do it himself. He was going to destroy Athens himself. But unfortunately, he got old and died. So we left the job to his son Xerxes, who we're going to talk about today and who's going to finally destroy Athens and ensure that nothing but ash is left. Clearly. I mean, badly timed death, Darius, but I guess at some point it had to happen. He did many things. So. You know, it's fair enough. The man had a lot on his plate. It's okay that he decided to bow out. I guess that's fine. Just some homework for his son. Yeah, it's going to be easy. Okay, so let's start with Xerxes himself. Who is Xerxes? Well, Xerxes is the son of Darius and Atossa. Atossa, who is right. the daughter of Cyrus. So Xerxes is both the son of Darius the Great and the grandson of Cyrus the Great. So he has wow. a lot of important ancestors to live up to. I guess Darius really timed that very well, or, you know, planned that very well. Yeah, it was a very good Because he might not have set. been legitimate at all, but, you know, yeah. now that he did all the things that he did for the Empire and... His now wife, I guess, is legitimately the daughter of Cyrus. That gives a lot of credibility. Yeah, exactly. And now the idea is that no matter what Darius was, if he was a usurper from a new dynasty or whatever, 
Xerxes and all his descendants are still descended from Cyrus, so the line of Cyrus is still on the throne. Yes, exactly. So Darius's potential illegitimacy doesn't carry over to his son, which is a great thing well, to no, have. Well, no, because Atossa is there. Yeah, exactly. So, saving his ass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So Xerxes was born around 518 BC, so still in the old century. And it's unclear if his original name was Xerxes or not. Because maybe he had a certain name before coming to the throne and then picked Xerxes when he came to the throne, or it was always called Xerxes. We're not sure. Oh, okay. So they do that as well as the emperors in Rome, right? You just choose a more interesting name so people will remember you by it. Especially also maybe you're trying to imitate somebody, so you're trying to say, ah, I want to be the new Darius. Okay, I'll be Darius the second, so everybody can know this is what I'm aiming for. And yeah, the name Xerxes itself means he who rules over heroes. So that's a nice mm-hmm. name to have for a king. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that, that also makes your subjects feel good. Yeah, so, it's know. nice. It's, very, it's encouraging for everybody. Exactly. We don't really know very much about Xerxes' youth, but we have some signed documents from when he's a young prince where it seems that he was governing the satrapy of Babylon starting around 498. Oh. And it seems that since there were no real reports of rebellions in that period, he was doing a reasonably good job <laughs> governing Babylon. You know, nothing burnt Lack to of the information ground. means everything was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no news is good news. Let's assume it's okay. Also, even though Herodotus tells us that Xerxes was chosen as heir shortly before Darius died, it's likely that Xerxes was already heir by around this point when he was governor of Babylon, sort of following a bit mm. the example of Cambyses and Cyrus, where also Cambyses right, governed you... Babylon as a young prince. Yes. You give a little bit of responsibility to your son and see how he's doing and be like, okay, well, I, I'm preparing you to be the successor of the throne. So. Yeah, exactly. And if you know how to govern a satrapy, then it makes sense that you have at least some of the skills that you need to govern the overall empire. And if you don't, well, well, yeah, if you don't, there's always time to choose a new heir and to be replaced. But yeah, this is a test. Yeah, this is a test. If you don't destroy Babylon during it, good job. You can be king. That's great. Excellent. But as we said earlier, Darius, unfortunately, gets old, passes away and leaves the mm. throne to Xerxes himself. Now, if you remember from Darius's episode, there was sort of some contention if... Darius's eldest son of all of his sons should have succeeded as opposed to Xerxes, mm. who was his eldest son as king. Oh, yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he had previous sons. Yes, he did a, have previous a sons. a different marriage, right? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, Xerxes had the double advantage that he was the grandson of Cyrus, and also he was the first one who was born to Darius as king. Which makes no sense. Really, it should be your firstborn as in I mean, it, always, I, right? I, I can I sort of see the plan. The idea is that I can see, the firstborn I mean, wasn't I, raised to be king. He was just raised yes. to be some minor noble, while Xerxes was always raised as a prince. Hear me out, hear me out. What I mean is, it makes sense that if this marriage with Atossa was new, obviously, and you won the clout and the support by claim to the throne, right? Mm-hmm. 
from a strategic point of view, of course it makes total sense. And also if you have a new marriage and so like you are with a queen as opposed to, oh, your previous wife who was never crowned, so to speak. And like what I don't understand is, this makes sense, but what I don't understand is the way of putting it as he was born to him when he was already a king. If you stayed with the same wife, or like if you had a child with the same wife that you had a child before, but you were king now and you weren't king before, it's just such a weird... I like, mean, I get it, but also... What? <laughs> it's a weird distinction, but it sort of makes sense, you know? If you're accepting monarchy as a basis for government, you need to find a way to pick them, and... You could sort of argue that the divine right flows through you at that point, and then <laughs> your and child fits, yeah? So, yeah. I know. see. It's, yeah, it's weird, but hey. Xerxes is king. Interesting. Yes, that's that's the point. Yes, however, the issue is that there is a small rebellion in Bactria under one of Xerxes' older brothers. Oh no. However, it seems that Xerxes is not very hot-headed. He seems to be quite a level-headed person and knows what to do. So he just offers this elder brother a deal. He says, hey, listen, if you stop your rebellion, sure you won't be king, but I'll make you the satrap of Bactria and Sogdiana, and I'll also give you the command of the Royal Navy, and you can live in luxury Ooh. for the rest of your life. How's that? Like, please do this, please? Yeah. Help. <laughs> and the other brother thinks, my options are either risk everything and maybe become king, mm -hmm. or be horribly executed, and... or yeah. I could just take this deal and live comfortably for the rest of my life. I'll take the deal. It's fine. It's Thanks, Xerxes. Deal. Have fun ruling. Indeed. So that's strike one. Excellent. But the rest of the empire still has a few kinks to work out. Because if you remember, Darius was heading to suppress a rebellion in Egypt. And yep. this thing started spreading a little bit with the death of Darius. You know, more people thought, oh, great, uh, the king course. is dead. More of an opportunity. Yeah. Best time to for a rebellion. I thought he was going to Athens. I mean, he was, but he delayed the Athens plan because there was this rebellion in Egypt. Oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah, because this popped up. With. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So Xerxes then takes his army and personally leads an invasion of Egypt and he suppresses the rebellion in hey. you know, basically the, the amount of time it takes him to get there. Rebellion over. Good job. Done. Well, then they, maybe they weren't very serious about it. It could be, you know. It might have been that they realized, oh no, this kid actually knows what he's doing. Let's maybe stop. Yeah, never stop. mind, the king is not <laughs> like, dead. Nope, we nope, have nope, nope, king. nope. <laughs> yes. Run away! <laughs> However, it seems that Xerxes refused to be crowned in the Egyptian manner. Oh. Which, you know, might have been more of a snub to the rebels to tell them, hey, if you want us mm -hmm. to treat you nicely, don't rebel. This is not how yeah. it works. But, yeah. but then Xerxes still has some stuff to do. He wants to go around and prove himself as king. He, before he goes on a massive expedition to invade Europe, he wants to ensure that his borders are secure, that everything is in order, and people respect him as a king. Indeed. So he heads over to Central Asia, the part generally where Cyrus died, and he ran a couple of campaigns against the nomadic Dahe people. And managed to beat them sufficiently that he ended up establishing two new satrapies in the region so that he could secure the eastern trade routes in the steppe and ensure that the steppe nomads of the region didn't really invade the core of Iran while he was elsewhere. So Xerxes doing a good job. Reasonably nice. Everything is 
nice and dandy. Keeping everything under control. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Everything is pretty orderly. Doing the job of a king. Yeah, which is a good start for him. But still, he has some work to do to stabilize the core of the empire. Because in 484, in August, when he was off in the steppe trying to sort out these people, there's a new rebellion, this time in Babylon. Oh. Now, if you remember, Babylon was being governed directly by Zapyrus. Remember the guy mm-hmm. who self-mutilated horribly to take the city? Yes, yes, yes. I remember Good man. Papyrus. <laughs> yes. Well, remember him for not very long because the rebels kill him. Oh, okay. <laughs> so after all he did to get Babylon, he is still murdered. And the Babylonians make their own king. So sorry, Zapyrus, you tried. And now I guess Xerxes is like, oh, God damn it, and now I need to go up there and fix that too. Yes. He's quite annoyed, actually. He just runs all the way back from the east into Babylon, and he lays siege to the city. The city itself didn't really have much to go on, actually, because they had an internal rebellion inside their rebellion, and they switched kings again. It was a whole mess. Oh, no. Yeah, you don't do the rebellions this way if you want them to succeed. So, of course, Xerxes went in, crushed the rebellion. Babylon didn't even have any functional walls after Darius dealt with it. So Xerxes can quickly suppress them. And he also decides that he is going to ensure that Babylon never rebels again. So Darius was merciful last time with the thousands of impalings. Xerxes is going to ensure that Babylon doesn't have the strength to get up again. So what does he do? Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) He destroys their citadel inside the city, so there is nowhere to hide, nowhere, nothing to besiege. He confiscates the property of all the nobles and ensures that... No more power from there is left. It's now just his side. Then he split the satrapy of Babylon between all its neighboring satraps. So there is no longer an independent satrapy of Babylon that can rebel altogether. Mm -hmm. And then he removed the five and a half meter tall golden statue of the god Marduk from its temple and melted it down. No. Yes. And this was the god that called Cyrus (gasps) to Babylon. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, that's a bit that mm, like I get what you're trying to do, but this might not be the best way. <laughs> oh, like all the other things make sense. It's very harsh for Babylon, but like this is the point to make mm-hmm. it weaker so it doesn't have the unity to rebel as one and to withstand a siege. But did did you really have to do the last thing? Especially yeah. since it kind of gives you legitimacy and. I, you know. Well, Xerxes is going with my legitimacy is that I can stab you at any moment. Stop rebelling. I don't care anymore. You've rebelled three times in the last 20 years. That's it. Oh. Yeah, I guess Darius was already mad at them for rebelling and this just yeah. carried over. You don't want this to be a trend. You don't want Babylon to rebel every chance they get. It's done. And also it seems like Xerxes was a bit more devout towards his religion or rather less tolerant oh. towards other ones like he's not going on massive persecution sprees or anything but right. he's quite a firm believer in either zoroastrianism or mm. mazdaism whichever it might be at the time one of those essentially you can see this in the fact that he isn't crowned in the egyptian manner he does melt down the statue yeah. and also in the new satrapies he got in the steps he has an inscription where he says that Xerxes declared that demons should not be worshipped, where before demons were worshipped, I worshipped Ahura Mazda. So it seems like he's trying 
to ensure a bit more homogeneity in that field. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Cyrus was just happy to have everyone worship whoever they wished, because, you know, he didn't mix the two. Cyrus is a bit more... It's a bit more devout to his religion and therefore trying to spread that as... Yeah, exactly. The... He's trying to... He's sort of following a bit in uh, Darius's model of the empire has to be united and it has to be a single right. thing. It doesn't have to be a million tiny pieces that then can blow up at any moment. Okay. But yeah, so now the empire has been stabilized. Well, has it? <laughs> Nobody is alive really? left to destabilize it. Okay. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so Xerxes decides, hey, let's get married. It's always good to have some extra heirs in case anything terrible happens. Uh-huh. So, right, he doesn't have a wife yet, does he? No, he doesn't have a wife at the moment. All right. Uh, the only one that is left is Atossa, who is portrayed as a powerful queen mother by Herodotus. Although this could right. be just the Greeks being misogynistic and attributing cruelty to, to the only woman in the story, but... We've seen them do that before. Yeah, it'll happen more as we go on. Yeah. But anyway, Xerxes marries a woman called Amestris, who is the daughter of Atanes, mm -hmm. one of the seven nobles that uh, took yeah. the throne with Darius. Was friends with Darius. Yes. Yeah. And Xerxes has a series of sons, three of which are important, so we'll mention. So uh, an eldest son called Darius, of course, after his father, is following mm -hmm. in the tradition. Another one called Histaspes. And... Then a third son called Artaxerxes. Okay, so cool. We'll see them in cool the names. future, but for now, these are the children he has. But now that Xerxes has stabilized the empire, or at least gotten it to shut up and listen to him now. <laughs> I see. <laughs> I see how this is. <laughs> he still had some homework that his dad left him. So oh, yeah. Let's go finally back to Athens. Yes, so it doesn't seem like Xerxes was an especially expansionist ruler on his own terms like he seems mostly to have realized that the empire's size was pretty much as far as you could get reasonably without the edges breaking without it off blowing over yeah and his main expeditions like the one in central asia and this one in greece were mainly there to avoid rebellions or ensure that the borders mm -hmm. were secure so it was mostly padding for the rest of the empire and yeah, so he decides to go in Greece because, well, if the Athenians think they can get away with helping rebels in Anatolia, they'll probably try again. That cannot be. And that's going to be a pain in the butt. You need to always stop these rebels in Anatolia. Let's not do that. Yeah. We can't have that. Yes. So he decides to prepare himself for the invasion of Greece. And from Tejas, we get a wonderful story about what happened in Babylon while he was getting ready. Ooh. Okay. Because while Xerxes was in Babylon and preparing the Greek expedition, he excavated mm -hmm. an ancient tomb of Marduk, you know, the one under the temple. I d uh, so we're still, like, desecrating even more? Yes, we're still desecrating the temples. Great. Excellent. And Lovely. in it, Xerxes found a crystal sarcophagus containing oil in which a body was kept. But there were about four fingers of oil missing from the lid, from the edge of it. Uh-huh. Which sounds like a D&D &D setup. Yeah, I'm just... All of my alarms are going off <laughs> right now. They should correctly. Because on the sarcophagus, he uh, finds an inscription that says, There will be nothing good for the one who opens the monument and does not fill the sarcophagus. 
So this is a thing that had to happen? Like they were waiting for someone to come so the sarcophagus will be filled? Or like what is the plan? I if assume comes somebody by? had a weird prophetic vision and was hoping that this was going to happen. Oh my god. <laughs> or pranks that went too far. We don't know. Uh-huh. So Xerxes decides, let's maybe not leave an unfulfilled prophecy before I go for my expedition. Please oh, fill good, the sarcophagus. Smart. Thank you. Excellent. But no matter how much oil was poured into the sarcophagus, it never seemed to fill. <gasps> oh! Dun, dun, dun. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> I am so... Oh my god. <laughs> this was in Babylon, right? In the yes, in the Marduk. Temple of Marduk. Yes. yes. So, yes. not great. But Xerxes thinks, okay, fine. I mean, I need to do this expedition anyway. I'm not going to let a sarcophagus stop me. There's probably a hole in the bottom or something. I don't know. Let's go. Yeah, like it's very ominous and it gives you really bad juju, but also that's probably the reasonable explanation, right? Like, it, okay, there's a hole and so it's never get Like either it's some kind of prank. It's designed <laughs> that way. Or like there's it's just faulty. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the priests of Babylon are trying to trick you and punish you for the statue melting. Yeah, could be. Yeah, which, you know, makes sense would probably happen yeah so Xerxes aside let's still go and also I love how melodramatic Herodotus is about Xerxes invasion of Greece because uh -huh. well first of all Herodotus justifies the invasion of Greece by saying that Atossa wanted Darius and Xerxes to invade Greece because apparently they have the best servant girls in Greece and she what? wanted them what oh shut up <laughs> come on <laughs> So, Herodotus, yes. go take a walk. Yes, blaming the only woman in the story for weird stuff and not oh, the clear reasons that were there to invade Greece. But Herodotus also says that after Greece, Xerxes plans to conquer the world because he is an evil Eastern ruler. Brah. Well, yeah, but it's fine when the Greeks do it. Yeah, of course, it's fine because they're Greek. It's all right. But anyway, Herodotus also gives us another great story for the preparation. Ooh, fun. Because before the invasion of Greece itself, uh -huh. Xerxes discussed the wisdom of the war with some of his advisors. And one of these, Mardonius, was in favor of the war. And another one, mm -hmm. called Artabanus, a son of one of the seven nobles, thought that it would be unwise because it was going to be very dangerous. It's across the sea. It's going to be very complicated. Let's not mm. do this. Let's just make sure Anatolia is secure and but forget this about was it. the one homework that Darius gave That's what Xerxes, Xerxes says. Xerxes so. says, my dad gave me one but thing to do. And also, <laughs> are we just going to let these Greeks walk over us? Let's just go there. Yeah. Quick mission. Burn Athens. Go home. It'll be okay. Yeah, because I guess it's been a while now because he had other matters to attend to. So I don't know if some years have passed. It's been like I a assume. couple of years since Darius died. Yeah, and so it's like, eh, we didn't do it immediately. And uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah. So Xerxes originally criticized Artabanus, but then eventually, after some discussions, he ended up agreeing. He said, okay, actually, you know what? Fair enough. Oh, it might be I a see. bit too much work. It's been six years. There hasn't been any rebellion. It'll be fine. We might be risking too much yeah, just exactly. for the sake of... Yeah. But then Xerxes goes to sleep one night and has a dream of a massive man standing over him and telling him, the invasion is the right idea. You have to invade Greece. Well, if a massive man tells you then, I guess. However, Xerxes is a reasonable man. And next day he wakes up and he says, weird dream. Guess Wait I'm stressed. <laughs> and he goes to his nobles and says, listen, I understand Artabanus's point. 
let's all go home. We have kick-ass palaces back in Persia and Mesopotamia. Let's just go relax and administer the empire. It'll be okay. Oh, so he actually wakes up from that dream and is like, no, 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 no. It's still a bad idea. We should not do this. <laughs> so next night, however, he has an, another dream where the same massive man oh, is asking Xerxes, why did you ignore my prophetic dream? If you don't lead the invasion, you will get a terrible misfortune. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> oh, whoopsie. <laughs> <laughs> next morning, Xerxes wakes up and calls Artabanus to his room and says, Listen, Artabanus, I agree with you. I think we shouldn't do this invasion, but I've had like this weird dream two but nights this in a man. row. <laughs> I'm being threatened by a dream man now. Any ideas? You know, help. And Xerxes tells Artabanus, listen, I know you don't believe me about the giant man, but I know a trick. <laughs> I'll let you have the same dream. And then you'll believe me, and then we can go on this invasion, and then go home. Quick invasion. Wait, what? <laughs> what do you mean? So he's just like, I will wait until you dream the same. Yes. And then we see. But waiting we'll see. until he dreams the same is a bit of a long deal, so Xerxes decides, you know what? Artabanus, tonight, sleep in my room, wear my clothes, you'll probably get the same dream, you'll probably trick <laughs> the, the giant man. It'll be fine. The giant man will see my figure in the bed with my clothes and will be like, ah, yes, this guy, this... <laughs> yeah. This asshole again who's been ignoring me. Yeah, exactly. I'm here to call a third time. Artabanus replies, that's a bit weird. I don't okay. think that's going to work. <laughs> I think your dreams sure. are just that you're stressed about, you know, the war and whether or not to do it and you have a yeah. big decision. I get it. But I guess I get to sleep in your room, so... Yeah, he says also, I don't think I would fool a god by dressing up in your clothes, but honestly, yeah, if this right? makes you happy, sure, whatever. I'll sleep in your room this night. Fine. Do you want to sleep together? Or like, <laughs> are we... It is not recorded. <laughs> but yeah, so Artabanus decides, okay, fine, I'll wear your clothes, sleep in your bed, fine. So that night, Artabanus does see the huge man. Oh, so you can trick a god... Not really. The god seems to know it. Because the giant man says, wait, uh, are you the guy that's trying to convince Xerxes to not go to war? Because Xerxes knows yeah. what will happen if he disobeys me. So maybe when you wake up, but don't. But for some reason, he still listens to you, yeah, a mere like, mortal. Like, what are you doing? You know, change. So just to change. ensure that the message gets across, he made Artabanus's eyes burn as if they were on fire and he woke up screaming. Uh-huh. Great. Wonderful. I thought this would be like a funny conversation, but no. <laughs> nope. You, d you don't mess with God. No, God is very annoyed. He really wants the invasion to happen. Come on. The hell? Why? So. Who are you? <laughs> Who hurt you in Athens? <laughs> so finally, everybody agrees. Yep, we're going on this invasion. I don't want to have my eyes burning anymore. Please, let's go. All right. I'd rather not wake up screaming every night of my life. Thank you. That's one way to do it. So Xerxes continues his actual invasion. He prepares a massive force. According to Herodotus and Diodorus Siculus, it's around 5 million men, which is ridiculous. Uh-huh. Wow. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think they have an army of 5 million men. Like, excuse my skepticism, but probably not. That is like a tenth of the population of the empire. It's hard to yeah, get them all to mobilize. How do you feed all <laughs> these people? What's going on? 
However, modern estimates say that he did still have a pretty massive army. It's supposedly around 100,000 soldiers, Whoa. which Damn. he is ready to bring from Asia into Europe and absolutely annihilate Athens. Great. And the Athenians notice that there's some movement and they send some spies uh-huh. over to Sardis. They're like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, they send Wait. some spies to try and understand, oh no, what does this army look like? Should we worry? Should we be worried? And these spies try to skulk around the Achaemenid camp, but they are captured by the guards because there's 100,000 people there. They'll find you. Yeah. And these spies are brought before Xerxes to be executed. And Xerxes says, no, 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 it's okay. Don't execute them. I'll actually show them around the camp. Oh, yes. They can see all all the many soldiers we have, all our horses, all our camels. Look at all our siege equipment. Look at the thousand ships we have anchored Isn't offshore. Nice? Isn't it nice? Okay, go back to Athens. This one's called Botimac Boatface. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> and he sends them back to Greece saying, Oh, by the way, if anybody wants to surrender, I'm taking any offers. Please, if you surrender, it'll be fine. I won't have to annihilate you. Yeah, like, hey, uh, if you surrender, like, I don't have to go all the way over there. And, like, we don't have to fight. So, like, you know, just let me know. Yeah, it'll be a lot more straightforward if if you just give up before we come here. Okay, thanks. I love that he was like, oh, you want to see what we're doing? Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course, come, why come not? Here. Yeah. Come here. I'm going to show you around. So now, with his preparations completed, in 480 BC, Xerxes orders his army to cross the Hellespont. Under the command of Mardonius, the commander of the first land invasion, the one that didn't really work out. Oh, but so you're giving it to the same commander? I mean, <laughs> it's the one me. that d- didn't work out because it was one of those half-assed expeditions that Darius started uh, with. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, also it's unclear if Xerxes himself is on this expedition because the Greek sources tell us that Xerxes himself was there leading his men. But some historians have sort of disputed that because... It's more likely that Xerxes would have been closer to the core of his empire, ensuring that it stays together rather than dealing with this expedition in the far west. That makes sense, but also Darius did the same and it didn't work out. But yeah. also this is more prepared and he has a good general and like a whole army behind. So Yeah, so, I mean, both you know. are plausible. If it's like a small Greek city that nobody knows about, mm-hmm. which is what Athens was at the time, mm-hmm. then... Yeah. I mean, he would be there for the Egypt rebellion, but I don't think he would. Yeah. Yeah, there are these two arguments. Either, yes, it was Darius's last plan, so Xerxes wanted to follow through with it, or it wasn't so important that Xerxes had to personally concern himself with it, so he left it to a delegate. Eh, it's unclear. Mardonius? Yes, Mardonius. The son of Gabrius, I think he was. But how does Xerxes cross into Europe? Well, he's crossing through the Hellespont, but... Taking boats would take a long time. You have to embark, disembark, whole mess. So what he does is he builds a massive bridge of boats to connect the two continents. What? And that ensure so that cool. his men can walk across. Oh my god! Wait, how much of a distance is that? The Hellespont is very can you wide. Do that? I mean, there's a modern. I don't know if there's a bridge across the Hellespont. Let me see. How wide is the Hellespont? It's 1.2 kilometers at the shortest and 8 kilometers at the furthest. So it's reasonable. You can do it. Walking a kilometer is not much. Like I do that in the city going places. It's probably like half an hour of walking, something like that. Yeah, about. So that's not much to have soldiers, you know, walk through. But is it 
easier to have boats not moving. Like you still, the first boat still needs to go almost there, right? And the second as well. I mean, the idea is that basically- So you're still sailing, but then- Yeah, but he sort of has you know. all these little boats that aren't actual warships just tied together so that you can just walk across. Cause it's a hundred thousand soldiers that need to march across this area. If yeah. you have to ferry them across, it's going to be a right, whole you, lot. Oh, so they wouldn't have enough war boats I mean, they could, but it's a mess and... Uh, okay, bleh. okay. It's just a weird solution. But yeah, I guess I get it. By some margin, it is better. Yeah, it is. It's a little bit better, honestly. It's And then you don't have to disembark and embark. And also, to ensure that yeah. the horses didn't get freaked out by this, because they would get freaked out. Oh, yeah, because wobbly floors. Yeah, they apparently had earth put on top of this bridge and some trees Ooh. hanging around so the horses wouldn't realize they're walking on what? water. Really? Yes. Yeah. That's, so that's They'd be like, why is <laughs> like what? Why, why does the floor feel too weird? <laughs> yes. What's going on? However, unfortunately, there was a oh. massive storm while Xerxes oh, was crossing. Oh, yeah, that will. And the bridge will was wrecked. That must have been terrifying. Yes, not not for fun. the soldiers, <laughs> definitely. And at this point, according to Herodotus, in anger, the evil Eastern king Xerxes ordered to whip the sea for its insolence while saying, you bitter water, our master punishes you like this because you did him wrong, even though he did no wrong to you. Xerxes will pass over you whether you like it or not. It is just that no man will offer you sacrifice because you are a murky and salty river. So another Caligula. Love it. Yes, that's that sort of vibe Caligula's giving off. And this is, again, this is the Herodotus version of, ooh, scary Eastern Yeah. But I read actually an interesting paper by Andrea Piras, which was actually saying that this might have happened, but with entirely different Ooh. symbolic connotations. Okay. Because both fire and water are sacred in the Zoroastrian tradition. Mm-hmm. And water, especially for its life-giving properties. Right. And we know of all religions, at least Xerxes is kind of Yeah, he a fan cares of about his own, at least. So. Yeah. And apparently there's a Zoroastrian myth where the first man is given a whip and a poker by Ahura Mazda to whip the earth into extending mm. itself and poke it as a plow to create more space for humans and animals. Oh, okay. So what's suggested in this paper is that by whipping the Hellespont and hitting it with pokers, Xerxes is sort of administering his religious role as king, calling back to this previous myth, and trying to get the sea to behave according to the will of Ahura Mazda, who's the head god. I see. So in the Persian tradition, Xerxes isn't really whipping the sea like a master with a slave, like Herodotus is suggesting, but it's more like whipping a horse to make it speed up or change direction. Interesting. So it's more a version of prayer rather than, you know, ah, I am the king of the sea, I punish you. Yeah, it's obviously a completely different connotation. Yeah. It's very interesting. But finally, the bridge is rebuilt and the army can cross it. Hooray! And now we have 100,000 soldiers in Europe, and a thousand ships which are going to accompany our expedition. Oh, fun. Because <laughs> the idea is that Xerxes' army is going to walk along the coast while his fleet is going to accompany them and resupply them, act as messengers, ensure that they're always in contact with the homeland so they don't get surprised by any other direction. So they're oh, covering cool. all their bases. Also, Xerxes apparently sent a request of alliance with Carthage. Oh, to block any of the Greek colonies in Sicily from helping out and sending aid ah, yes. to Greece. I like Carthage. Still think they should Carthage have won. Is neat. 
We won't see them often, but yeah. <laughs> By the time we see them, it'll be too late. But yeah. I am a pro-Carthage in the Punic Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did deserve. That. As much as that means, you know. But we will meet Hannibal in the future, so that we'll oh, see what that works. Okay. But 300 years from now. Also, in one of the older Darius expeditions, part of Darius's fleet was wrecked off the coast of Mount Athos, mm. Greece. So to avoid this happening again, to avoid the stormy part of sea, Xerxes decides to dig a channel through the isthmus of that peninsula so that his ships can go through it right. without having to pass by the wow. long side of the peninsula. So he just digs a hole through That's it. That's a very big project, honestly. Like, I understand, because if your fleet got wrecked last time, you don't want to go through the same. Yeah. But I'm always impressed by all of these really big engineering solutions and projects that were made during war campaigns. Because they're always talked over like, yeah, and they did this, and then we continue. But like, it must have taken <laughs> a long time to do that. It is really impressive, yes, because this canal is described as two kilometers long, Whoa. 30 meters wide, and three meters deep. That's a lot. For a certain amount of time, it wasn't really believed that it was there. Mm. Somebody thought, oh, it's just Herodotus making stuff up. It's Which, fair. Him exaggerating as always. But we actually found it. <gasps> we found the canal? So, yes. So it's now covered in earth and everything. Yeah, but, but that's so cool. It was found. They know where it is. I know. I love that. So that Like, you can tell probably they unearthed something and they found that the rock didn't match. And then, like, what is this? And then you could just see the shape of a canal. Yeah, that's really cool. That is so cool. That's amazing. So that's very nice. And also the fact that this engineering is, yes, useful, but it's also a power move. Yeah. Look, like we can do just to avoid the other way. Yeah, to avoid an inconvenience. It's as if aliens to invade Earth move the moon to the side just because they yeah. can. It's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. That's a... Uh... <laughs> that is a lot. Uh -huh. Hello. So Xerxes is marching past and here again, he receives... Tribute from his vassal, Alexander I of Macedon, oh. as the Macedonians let them through and send their own contingent of soldiers to join the army, heading ever further south. Excellent. Yeah, so at this point, Herodotus gives us a series of omens Ooh. at the start of the expedition, because we need omens. Of course. So, apparently, starting the expedition, a mare gave birth to a hare. Sure. Which rhymes. Of course. To start with. And according to Herodotus, this clearly means that Xerxes would march with great pride into Greece, but then run back home soon enough. That makes perfect sense. I don't, don't so, see any problems with that. Sure, I guess. And also he mentions that a mule gave birth to a mule with male and female genitals, but we have absolutely no detail on how this is to be interpreted. Oh, so it's just, just told, hey, this happened. Weird, weird thing happened, by the way. I'll write it down in case, so, you know. Yeah, you never know. Happens. But anyway, within his descent, Xerxes sends messengers to all the different cities in Greece asking for earth and water, which is basically a symbolic submission to the Achaemenid Empire. I see. And among these, many, many cities submit, seeing this power, for example, Thebes is one of the major cities that submits to Xerxes and sends a battalion of its soldiers to help him out. Mm -hmm. But Xerxes does not send these envoys to Sparta and Athens because they killed Darius's messengers last time, so he doesn't want to waste good messengers on being stabbed by yeah. some of the Greek cities. Also, we are, you know, crushing them anyway. Not like we're going to ask yeah, for exactly. their support if, you know, they're why we're here, so. 
So now a series of Greek cities are aligning with Xerxes, and there's sort of a, a resistance coalition siding around Athens. There's I a group see. of people defending Athens itself. As it would happen, you know. Some fools yeah, who decided, yeah. oh, wait. Rebel scum. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point we get that Xerxes is marching south through Thessalia, and he reaches a pass called the Hot Gates, also known as Thermopylae. Hey. Oh, right, because it means the Hot Gate. I just got it. <laughs> <laughs> Where there is a large coalition of Greek city-states. There's about uh, 5,000 men, I believe, Whoa. with around 300 Spartan soldiers, because Sparta isn't officially there, mm-hmm. isn't officially in the war. This is just King Leonidas going there on his oh, own I see. accord. And we get a description of how this battle goes. So at Thermopylae, we're told that Xerxes puts the Median soldiers first, either because he admired them for their bravery, mm-hmm. or because he wanted to make sure they didn't rebel back in Media. <laughs> Whichever. One of the two. But however, the Greeks seem to hold up well enough. Mm. They have an advantage due to their large shields, sort of like what happened in Marathon. They can hold the barrier well enough. So the first day doesn't go really well. Uh, Uh, Xerxes tries another day, trying to push through again, but doesn't work great. So the third day, at the end of this long weekend, Xerxes receives news from a nearby shepherd, or a defector for one of the Greeks, it's unclear. That, hey, if you want, there's a way to just go around Thermopylae and stab them in the back. And nobody told me. If you want, I can show you the way. And Xerxes says, oh, yes, that's great. Thanks. Wow. Very helpful. We'll do that then. Have fun. At Thermopylae, the Greeks suddenly realize, oh, wait, the Persians are here in movement to get behind us. Oh, dear. Oh, Oh, dear. (laughs) So most of them are evacuated, but 700 thespians. Thespians? Actors? They're from the, from the city of Thespi. I don't know why they became actors, but they did. Actors? 700 actors uh-huh. dying very dramatically. Oh no. Ah, a spear. Oh, <laughs> me. And they, my heart, my heart, I go, I go. And then they got up and left. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so these 700 thespians and the 300 Spartans okay. that were there decide to hold the line and to be murdered in gruesome ways uh-huh. by the whole Achaemenid army which comes and floods over them and hey we won we only had to stop for a long weekend at Thermopylae and now we can head towards Athens wow. hooray wow wow in the meantime the Athenians aren't idle they've also sent their fleet to try and slow down Xerxes so their fleet does manage to win a minor victory at Artemisium oh. And they can sort of hold the Achaemenid fleet back, but then they, they're forced to retreat back to Athens. Excellent. Because, well, now Thermopylae has been breached and the whole army can march through. So there's been some victories and some losses, but overall, Xerxes is continuing to Athens. Yes, exactly. So he marches down, he goes by Thebes. The Thebans send him soldiers. They see how this is going. Mm-hmm. The Achaemenid army keeps growing as this thousand nation army. Yeah. Moving onwards. It was already big to begin with, so... Yes. So Xerxes arrives within sight of Athens. The Athenians absolutely panic. Yep. The Athenians take what little is left of their fleet and evacuate the city and try and 
moved to the nearby island of Salamis. Oh god, oh god, Just across Run the away. water from Athens. <laughs> saying, oh no, oh no, consequences for our actions, <laughs> dear god. Ah. So Xerxes arrives to the city of Athens, captures it without much resistance, and burns it all to the ground. Only ash is left of the city of Athens. And mission accomplished. Wait a minute. But no. But we know of <laughs> Athens. Like, that's... The, what is happening? This is not... Well. <laughs> tell me. At this point, Xerxes decides that, well, since he's here, he might as well burn Sparta to the ground as well and take the Peloponnese. <gasps> right? He's there. Xerxes, no! <laughs> <laughs> and... The Greeks have set up a last stand at the Isthmus of Corinth. It's the last tiny bit of land connecting the Peloponnese to mainland Greece. They can sort of stand there where they will resist Xerxes' army and hopefully make it. Otherwise, they're doomed. Uh-huh. Um, um, I'm so worried now because, like, the plan worked, <laughs> but I was not expecting really well. it to. Uh, yeah. When is it going to go wrong? They even brought a lot of nice Athenian statues all the way back to Persepolis. They'll be kept there for another 200 years. It's great. Excellent. But the thing is that to ensure that the Corinth plan works, the Athenians and their allies need to ensure that their fleet is on the side of Corinth. Because if Xerxes' fleet can just board and cross to the other side of the Isthmus, then what's the point of having this? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we chose this place for a reason, and that reason is no longer relevant. Yes, exactly. So, in September of 480 BC, Xerxes receives a message from an Athenian admiral called Themistocles, who you'll want to write down. Themistocles. Okay, wait. <laughs> Themistocles sends a message to Xerxes saying, Hey Xerxes, I know when the Athenians are going to leave. If you catch them in this moment, you'll be able to stop them from getting to Corinth and win the war. Xerxes says, Awesome! Let's do this. So Themistocles is like, let me betray everyone, because that way I might not die. So at this point, Xerxes sends his massive fleet of ships to surround the island of Salamis to ensure that the Greek fleet will not be able to leave. And upon his order, the two fleets clash. However, yes. the Greek ships are small and nimble, and the Achaemenid ships are large and are having trouble within the limited space that they have between the island and Athens. Mm. And apparently, the Greek fleet wins. <gasps> oh no. On the 28th of September of 480 BC, the Greek fleet manages to score their first real victory against the Achaemenids. And Xerxes' fleet has to limp away for repairs. And also, fun fact about the Battle of Salamis is that this is basically where classical Athens starts. Ooh. Because there's a fun fact, which is probably a myth, but it's about the three key playwrights of Athens. They're all involved with the battle somehow. Because Aeschylus is apparently fighting on the oh, ships. Cool. Soldier. Sophocles is in the chorus that is singing for these ships for encouragement. Uh -huh. And Euripides is being born during the battle. Wow, that's a cool... Yeah. So that's neat. Like probably symbolic, but still fun. And in the aftermath of the battle, Themistocles sends another letter to Xerxes saying, Whoops. Hey, the Greeks are planning to burn your bridge of boats on the Hellespont. If you want to get home, you should do it quickly. Yeah. 
And Xerxes thinks, hmm. Last time you... Yeah. I mean, I did burn Athens. I'm gonna go home, I guess. Fair enough. I'm glad that he still trusts him, even though, like, this went badly. Because it wasn't his fault. He did give him the correct information. It's just, it went badly. Yes. And it's sort of questionable what Themistocles' plan was, because after the war... Themistocles will tell the Athenian government, oh, no, 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 it, I was always, it was it was a trick. I, I was trying yeah, to trick Xerxes. Yeah. It worked, Of course see? he it did, because you're not yeah, going to admit. the battle. Yeah, you're not it's going perfect. to admit to the people that you betrayed, that you yeah, you're not going to admit to treason yeah. to start with. But then Themistocles in future will tell another Persian king, um, oh, yes, yes, we, we were, I, I was totally on your side. It just happened. It was, it was a mistake, uh, you know. You can't win them all. So who knows what Themistocles actually was planning. Well, probably but... to save his own neck, to be fair. Sounds fair. But yeah. So Xerxes himself has left the army, but after Salamis, even though there isn't the fleet anymore, their support fleet is away for repairs, mm-hmm. there's not a large army there and a lot of allied Greek cities. Mm. And Mardonius himself is a capable general. So he's trying to ensure that, okay, fine. We're not going to take everything... It's not going to be the best outcome, but let's just secure what we have. Do well, well enough. And get Athens to submit. So Mardonius sends his servant, Alexander I of Macedon, Uh over to Athens as a messenger. And he tells Athens, listen, good job. You won a battle. How about this? We're not going to annihilate you. We'll actually give you funds to rebuild your city. All you have to do is just accept that we're now your overlords and give us tribute like the Greek cities in Anatolia. Right. How's that sound? The Athenians actually find one of their politicians who says, wait, wait, wait a second, guys. Let's think about this. This sounds like a good plan. And they stone this politician to death before anybody can argue about this. Okay, well, I guess that's an answer. <laughs> and they say, no, no <laughs> surrender. We're not doing this. That's a way to do it, I guess. <laughs> so Alexander of Macedon goes back to Mardonia says... Hey, Listen. I said no. Sorry. But Mardonius is still convinced that he can make a deal. He can do something like this. He can organize this. And the Athenians themselves are starting to get pretty desperate because mm-hmm. they have very few Greeks left. And all the Greeks that are left are the ones in the Peloponnese. And they're just staying at home. Mm. The Spartans have decided, ooh, ugh, sounds hard. We'll, we'll, we'll stay here, Athens. Good luck with your thing. Well, Hope you have Spartans fun. the Spartans are doing the Spartan thing. Yes. And the Athenians keep sending messages to the Spartans saying, Guys, seriously, come on. Help us out here. We've been soloing these guys for so long. We won a naval battle for you, please. Why are you even here? Come on. Yes. Why are you not helping? They're going to come for you next if we fall, please. And they keep sending messages, keep sending messages... The Spartans keep sending messages back. Sorry, we have a religious festival going. Oh, again? We can't join you. Good luck, though. Have have fun. Good luck with the massive 100,000 soldier army. Hope it's all right. And I love how salty Olmsted is, the author of my Persian history book uh-huh. here, because he says, and I quote, Even after the victory of Salamis, it appeared the inability of Sparta to understand the most elementary factors of the situation would drive Athens into the Persian alliance. Excellent. 
So the Athenians keep sending messages so and then funny. they send one final angry message. Yeah. What the f***? <laughs> like, why? Guys, seriously, it's not hard. Help us. Especially since they will be next if Athens falls. Like, yeah, exactly. Not like Sparta is in the other just, side of the world just being for? like, eh, whatever. Not my problem. Yeah, they're just next door. Help, damn it. So Athenians send one final angry message saying, Sparta, if you're not answering yes, if you're not helping now, we're joining the Achaemenid side, okay? That's oh it. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. That is so good. That is hilarious. Just the pettiness. <laughs> yes, everybody is really petty here. They all hate each other. It's great. Excellent. At which point the Spartans finally send a message back saying, Oh, 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 you mean... Oh, you mean there's there's a big army there? Oh, I'm sorry. We didn't understand. That was big misunderstanding. Oops, we'll come, sorry. we'll come. It's okay, Athens. Hold on. We're coming to help. <laughs> oh, you mean this war? Not like, ah, oh, oh, okay. Ooh. No, yeah, yeah. That Athens. Right, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, my cousin's wedding got postponed. We can actually we can actually come over. It's okay. <laughs> so at this point, Athens send a new message to Mardonius. Mardonius says. Uh, all right, yeah. sure. He burns Athens to the ground again, whatever was left. And he decides to regroup elsewhere to face this new united Greek force. But Athens is burned to the ground nonetheless, twice. Yes. So, not great, but still. Is there still anything left in Athens? No, not much. They're mostly just watching from the island of Salamis <laughs> and feeling sad when their houses are burned. Because, you know. Yeah, not fun. But at this point, all the Greek forces assemble at a place called Plataea. 2,500 years ago, exactly. Avengers? Uh, wait, we have to wait for Sparta. Okay, they're here now. <laughs> oh, Sparta, Sparta, Sparta. Guys, guys, no, this no, no way, not this in the way. back. This in, in the front. Here, okay, good, good. Stay there. <laughs> don't, don't move while we don't watch you. Okay, cool. So... The Greeks assemble at Plataea, but Mardonius thinks that they're trying to make a break for it. They're trying to run away. Mm. So he sends his army towards them. And here we have the Great Battle of Plataea. So 479 BC, these two great armies face each other. The Achaemenid side has roughly two to one advantage on the Greeks. Okay. But the Greeks have heavy infantry there. They know the terrain. They know what's there. And they have a good strategy because it's worked twice so far. Yeah, exactly. Or more than twice, I don't remember. But I remember the Achaemenids are having a hard time fighting them because of their fighting style. So. Yeah, they're having a hard time with the sort of strategy. So Mardonius fights here. The battle goes on for long into the day and they seem to be quite evenly matched. Mardonius mm. is pushing, the Greeks are pushing. It's not clear who's going to win. But at a certain point, Mardonius himself charges into battle personally. Ooh. But he is slain by the Greeks. Oops. And at this point... All the Achaemenid army, seeing their general dead, oh, no. starts to panic. Oh, no. And they all start retreating. Oh no, 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 and no. And there's a complete no. rout at the Battle of Plataea, where the Greeks finally win their first big land victory. And the whole army is sort of gone. Yeah. It's not, you know, the Xerxes army is still around, but, but it's whoopsies. being scattered quite seriously. Yeah, everything is disorganized now yeah everything is not great and in 479 there is an issue that xerxes needs to think of uh -huh. because his good general is dead yes his army is sort of regrouping in greece but 
they don't really have much leadership there, so that would take some work. Yes, because guess what? His main general is dead. <laughs> yes. Also, his fleet is is off for repairs in Anatolia. Yeah, so no boats. So that's not great. And it's unclear if this is true or not. There are some strangeness in the records, hmm. but it might be that there was also a small uprising in Babylon at this time. Oh no, <laughs> everything at the same time. Again! Yes, so Xerxes has a choice. Does he? I can either keep fighting, spend a lot of resources for this tiny group of land for all these Greeks. They're not especially rich. They don't have an especially good land. I have been spending a lot of soldiers for this. Or I could make sure that the core of my empire, which is rich and prosperous and important to me, stays intact. Yeah, I feel like it might be time to retreat, my boy. Yeah. So Xerxes decides, Goodbye. you know what? This is done. <laughs> this this is over. I don't care burned anymore. Athens. Goodbye, Fine. everybody. Yeah. He can always spin this as a victory. He can say, hey, the plan was to burn Athens. And we did it. We did look. that. Hey. Now we're going home. Don't look at all the injured and dead people coming back. It's okay. It's fine. Nothing happened. So in 478, the war essentially ends when the Hellenic League, led by Athens, takes Cyprus from the Achaemenids mm. and then Byzantium itself. I see. So essentially kicking out Xerxes from Europe, from th the European lands that he had. Wow, that went terribly. What the hell? Yeah. Also, it's unclear what happened here in Byzantium, but apparently Spartan general committed such terrible war crimes that Sparta was expelled from the Hellenic League. <gasps> Wait. <laughs> unclear what we happened. We don't know? But yeah. We don't know what happened, but it was horrible enough that everybody agreed to expel Sparta. My God. Sparta, what the hell? Guys, come on. So, there we go. <laughs> and this is the end of what is either called the Persian War or the Persian Wars, if you consider the Darius and Xerxes expedition as two separate mm. wars. Also, I don't know why. I don't know if it's the whole Spanish-speaking world or just Spain that calls them the Median Wars. Oh! I don't know if they didn't get the memo about I... <laughs> the head of the empire changing. I don't know. I don't know. Um, well, you know... D d depends on the sources, I guess. <laughs> eh, I guess it's like, eh, they're roughly in that direction. It'll be, it'll, it'll be fine, <laughs> call them that. So this is why Herodotus doesn't like the Achaemenids. Because, ah, yes. well, this is the whole deal. Herodotus is working for Athens. Herodotus is from a uh, Greek city controlled by the Achaemenids. All this. And also this is the key to Athens' greatness. Because... In the Hellenic League, once Sparta is expelled, it'll slowly be transformed into the Athenian Empire. I see. Because Athens will always use the threat of the Achaemenids to say, no, 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 but please keep paying money to the common fund. It's okay. Don't worry about the fact that I'm keeping the common fund in Athens. Yeah. It's okay. Don't worry, I guys. See, I see, I it's see. It's going to be fine. I see what they did. So this is the birth of the Athenian Empire. Mm. And, well, this is when the Classical Age starts, as, as you see. Okay. And also, I've sort of, I don't know how good this is as a historical take. Uh, any historians would probably disagree, but mm -hmm. I sort of see the relationship between the Achaemenids and the Greeks as the relationship between the Romans and the Germans, where it's sort of these annoying people beyond the edge of civilization <laughs> that you tried to conquer them once. 
then you were defeated badly this one time, and then you decided, ah, eh, screw it, we'll just influence them passively and hope that nothing bad comes from them. <laughs> They're not important enough to risk it again, so might as well. Yeah. Yeah. Quintilius Mardonius, give me back my legions. <laughs> That's what I think. Ah, <laughs> uh, what a good quote. But yeah, so back in Iran, Xerxes has decided, you know what, I can just govern this empire. It's still the largest empire the world has ever seen. It's a bit smaller than what my dad gave me, but eh, you know. Yeah. We haven't fallen. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Europe is gone. You know, the Macedonians have decided to assert their independence, but hey, it's fine. So in Iran, Xerxes decides to construct a wide array of palaces and buildings across the empire and complete a lot of Darius's building work. Oh, cool. So he completes his work in Susa. He greatly embellishes Ekbatana, which has been the summer residence of the kings since Cyrus, because it's nice Ooh. and cool in the mountains and everything. Smart. And also he does a massive, beautiful work in Persepolis, where Xerxes built three separate palaces and a vast imperial complex, including the famous Gate of All Nations, mm. which is essentially a monumental portal 25 meters wide and 12 meters high, Whoa. flanked by two enormous six-meter-tall bulls <laughs> cool. with the inscription, I am Xerxes, great king, king of kings, king of the lands of many people, king of the great earth yeah, far and wide. All of this by again. Mazda's favor, I made this Gate of Nations. And here, essentially, the visitors wait for their audiences with the king and... It is all covered in beautiful different carvings that show all the greatness of the empire. They show all the different peoples of the empire mm. bringing tribute to the king himself. The portrait I'll show you about Xerxes is going to be Ooh, from this as well. Nice. And yeah, it's just a really beautiful setup. That I'm going to add some pictures in the episode notes yes. so you can have a look at them. Excellent. But yeah, it's also really impressive. There's just a hall of 100 columns with massive columns many tens of meters high, just hanging along. There's columns with bull heads on top of them, and it's all extremely cool and wonderful. Impressive. However, we don't have much left of these great works because someone happened to them. Oh. We'll find out oh. who happened to no. them in the future. Uh, I... Uh, there's few things that make me more sad than history and culture getting destroyed because of petty human yes. interaction. It's kind of terrible. There are still fire marks on some of the carvings yeah. from that event. But yeah, tune in in like 10 episodes or something for when that happens. Uh, fun. But for now, everything is new and beautiful and Xerxes has built it up. And the general peace and prosperity in his empire allows him for construction work in pretty much all the satrapies so that he can expand trade and culture all across the empire. Awesome. And we receive reports from many tribes in the border regions settling down for the first time, building their own cities, Ooh, sort of contributing cool. to the rest of the empire, which it's... is very cool. Well, things are going okay. In like, you yeah, know, the empire the itself is fine. You know, this great expedition failed. If okay, we ignore fine, the sure, major the shame yeah. of what just happened, we're yeah. doing okay. I mean, Augustus lost a whole mass of legions in Germany. Xerxes can lose them too. It's okay. That's fair. However, Herodotus uh, gives Herodotus. us one last hurrah when he tells us about Xerxes' indiscretions in the bedchamber. Wait! Herodotus. 
my boy. Come on. Although, full disclosure, I don't believe this is true. This is probably Herodotus trying to make Xerxes look bad. Yeah. Yes, because, oh, look at the bad king. Look at the bad king. So according to this story, when Xerxes returned from Greece, he arrived to Sardis, where he fell in love with his brother's wife. Mm. But... This wife didn't reciprocate his feelings, so Xerxes couldn't just take her because of his brother. So he decided, you know what a smart idea is? I will marry this woman's daughter no. to my son Darius. Oh, okay. So the mother is more likely to accept my advances. That's not how it works. Exactly. That's... that's... that's just not... Xerxes, <laughs> come on. <laughs> My boy! This is not how people work. Did you think about this? However, this brilliant plan failed immediately. Uh, yes? When Xerxes fell in love with his new daughter-in-law. No! And now... God. Everything is going to hell. Xerxes, just keep it in your pants. Honestly. And this daughter-in-law seemed to be interested in Xerxes. So, hooray! Yay, better, I guess? But now, on one day, Xerxes' wife, a mistress, gifted him with a wonderful, colorful cloak. Mm-hmm. And Xerxes was quite pleased with it and wore it everywhere. Because, oh, cool Pretty. cloak. Yes. yes. But when Xerxes met his daughter-in-law, now lover, he told her, You know what? I love you so much. You're so wonderful. You can ask for any gift. Any gift. <gasps> and I'll give it to you. No. <laughs> no. What do you think she asks for? <laughs> Um, the cloak that the wife gave to the husband, who's his lover now? Because smart... Exactly! The smartest thing she could have asked as a gift is what she asks for. Wow. At which point Xerxes, being a teeny tiny bit more intelligent, says, Are you sure there's nothing else you want? <laughs> I know I said everything. Anything listen, else. listen, really? I know what I said, but consider this. How about no? <laughs> But no, she is convinced. And Xerxes says, okay, fine, it's your funeral. Take mm-hmm. it. Why so of course her funeral when... and not Xerxes' funeral? Yeah, he's a man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's a man, I, this is a Greek I'm story. I'm sorry, sorry for asking. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> so of course, when Xerxes' wife, Amestris, sees mm-hmm. this woman with her cloak, she knows that something is wrong. Yes. But she actually suspected... The girl's mother. The one that Xerxes was originally into. Well, because, yeah, because he was into her, right? Yeah. Mm. So, Amestris waited and plotted until a special royal feast when the king <gasps> Another was feast. used to give gifts. I've missed yes, them. <laughs> feasts. Murder, feast, murder, feast. <laughs> At the special feast, the king customarily made gifts to his subjects. Okay. And here, Amestris went up to her husband and said, Oh, dear husband, could you please give me as a gift... Your brother's wife. <gasps> you know, the one you are into. Wink, wink. And Xerxes, well... Can you give people as gifts? I don't think Herodotus understands how the Persian court works. I, yeah, I just... What? <laughs> okay. But Let's yeah. just pretend, mm. I guess. Um, yes, this is mostly fan fiction, really. <laughs> fan fiction master so Herodotus. Not? Yes. <laughs> he has a really famous AO3 account. Go follow. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so Xerxes decides, okay, fine. I'm sorry, brother of mine. You're divorced. Your wife is now my wife's property somehow. Yeah. 
I guess? Uh, huh? At which point Xerxes' brother begged to have his wife back, but Xerxes got angry and his brother stormed out. It's like, okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah, as you would, because, you know, people are people and not property. Yes, but, exactly. Yeah. In the meantime, Amestris cut off this woman's breasts, nose, <gasps> ears, lips, no! and tongue and oh sent my... her back to her former husband. Oh my god. That is terrifying. Like a normal person. Yeah, that's yes. healthy coping, I guess. Yeah. What? So seeing what happened to his wife, Xerxes' brother attempted to raise a rebellion, but Xerxes quickly suppressed his. Yeah. But like, as you would. Family. Oh god. Yeah, the poor guy. It's a terrible story for every reason. Yeah. Because first of all, the only people guilty of anything are not punished. Yeah. This is also another reason why it feels very made up. Because yeah. it feels a lot like Hera not being able to punish Zeus for something. So she just torments some random woman who had no agency in uh, this. Yes. That's very common so, in yeah. the Greek myth. Yeah, exactly. And it's likely that Herodotus is just trying to A, make fun of Xerxes because he is dominated by women. Oh, look at you who take the advice of women. Yeah. Because well, how could you? Yes, oh god. And also it's just trying to show the Eastern court as, ooh, degenerate and debauched. So yeah. in all likelihood, not really. none true. of this ever happened. You know, maybe there was a minor rebellion for some reason, but yeah. not much. Sorry, it was just, you know, a, a lot. Damn. It is a lot of stuff, yes. Precisely. Also, by the way, mm -hmm. just to remain in the court one last time, According to Herodotus, Atossa, who is still alive at this point, mm -hmm. is at this point the first woman in recorded history to have surgery for breast cancer. Oh, well, Because apparently a Greek slave doctor that they had at the court managed to quite nicely excise the tumor. Interesting. And, and uh, Atossa managed to still live a long and fulfilling life. So nice. That is so impressive. That is incredible. Yeah. Well... Yeah, it's a very impressive level of surgery. Yeah, especially being like, hey, this century is, BC. this is making you ill. Let us take it out. And it went fine. And she didn't immediately die because surgery yeah. was really difficult. I assume they had some form of anesthetic. Yeah, I looked into this a little bit. And I think that the main form of anesthetic they had was opium. Oh, that that will opium. do it. That's what we use today. If you get high enough, you don't feel yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, uh, allow me to clarify when I say this is what we use today. is We use some kind of opioid. So, like, related yes, to opium, not just straight up opium. <laughs> yeah, morphine falls into that category as well, right? And Yeah, 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 it's, yeah it's a yeah. distilled version, I think. The anesthetics that are used. Okay, good, because I don't think she would have survived if she had to go through that conscious. No, Because no. I don't know how you would go through that conscious. No, you do not. But now, sad news. Oh. This is the last we will hear from Herodotus. Oh, Herodotus. Because we've caught up with his lifetime. Buddy. He is now telling his histories in Athens, telling everybody the fun stories we've heard so far. But sorry, Herodotus. That's it. Oh, oh well. Who's going to tell us random weird myths now? An omen. Dejus is still around. Oh, it's that's okay. Dejus is even De worse. Yes, <laughs> oh no. And then we'll only have to deal with serious historians. Pa pa. Ah, uh, where's the fun in that? Terrible. But anyway, if we look back to Greece while all of this was happening, Europe had indeed been lost to the Achaemenids. Mm -hmm. 
now that the Hellenic League, led by Athens, has now been transformed to the Delian League, right. which is basically the Athenian Empire. Mm-hmm. And it is now starting to gain adherence among the little city-states on the coast of Anatolia that are within the Achaemenid Empire. So okay. that's sort of starting to crumble away a little bit. Mm. But in 465 BC, Xerxes hires a captain of his bodyguard called Artabanus, okay. a Hyrcanian. And uh, this Artabanus brought a relative of his, a eunuch called Mithridates, <gasps> I up know this to his court. I know the name. Why? It's a different eunuch. Oh. Mithridates <laughs> was the supposed adoptive father of Cyrus. Okay, yes. I was I was like, huh? <laughs> brain, <laughs> brain was work. around already, yes. <laughs> I see. So one night, Xerxes goes to bed early. He's had a long day. He's a king. He's had to govern for a while. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time. And one night... Mithridates, who was the chamberlain of Xerxes, opens his bedroom door. And then he waves Artabanus in, saying, Hey, Artabanus, come in. He's sleeping. Go. And Artabanus tiptoes into Xerxes' room and stabs him to death. Oh, fun. Let's go. So no more Xerxes. And who is going to succeed? Xerxes didn't have time to nominate an official successor. We'll find out next time. Oh, come on. On the next episode of... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So that is the end of Xerxes. Did they have a personal vendetta? Or was it just like, I want the throne, goodbye? Seems to have been that he just wanted the throne. Although, we'll see in the next episode, it might be more complicated. Ooh, interesting, okay. Yes. Diodorus Siculus, who is one of our new sources, says that Artabanus wanted the throne for him and his family. I mean, as you would, I guess, like, it's a throne. Yeah, fair enough. People want it. It's kind of the thing. Exactly. So that's the end of his life. So are you ready to rate him? I think so. I'm missing some of my notes, but I'll I'll just re-listen to the episode anyway. (laughs) Fine, that works. Okay, so category number one is final moments. How interesting was his death? I mean, pretty cool. Not the most interesting because he was just stabbed, but really interesting that he... Yeah, it's like, it's like a nighttime murder, which is... It's good that it's a murder. Not so great that he didn't have that much personal relationship yeah. with the murderer. It was just his head bodyguard, which, you know, head bodyguard's job is to kill their employers, I think. But uh, uh, Yeah, that's how it goes, right? Like, they hire you and you protect yeah. them until you think it's wise and then you murder them. Like, that's... I think that's easy. So it's an okay death. Nothing extraordinary. Yeah, I guess so. It was interesting. I'm still interested in how he trusted his bodyguard enough to recommend the eunuch. Like, didn't he say that, you know, something could happen if you have the person who has access to your chambers be someone who got recommended by your head bodyguard who might be, you know. Yeah, I mean, could have been wiser there, but... But if you trust a person, you trust a person. I mean, like, we're seeing it without knowing the people firsthand. Yeah, we don't know when Artabanus came into his service. You know, maybe right. Artabanus had been loyally serving him yeah. for 20 years. And also, apart from that... Like, like, oh, sure, have... your cousin needs help? Fine, that's okay. Yeah. Also, apart from that, we only know the data, so to speak, of these things. And, of course, these are human stories. Like, we forget that people have been people for as long as we've been people. Like, yeah, we, of course. people behave very similarly, even if the culture is different, the customs are different. We are ruled by the same rules in a way. Like we work the same way. We have feelings and emotions and connections. And I feel like sometimes talking about these periods in history, we forget that people are just people. 
you know we have feelings yeah, and exactly. emotions like everyone else so i don't know it's a fun thing to think about i feel like yeah definitely it's really interesting but yeah so what is your what are you scoring him for death i'm not uh, i'm like a four-ish three i was gonna go for a three three yeah <laughs> not convinced <laughs> oh yeah i don't know i'll stay with a four honestly it's not often that we get nice murders and <laughs> that's true it has a bit of an aftermath we'll go for it. it's our is it our first palace murder it no, is no wait the first no. one was darius yeah the first one was darius and, and the other nobles <laughs> no, no, no. just stabbing yeah that was a lot cooler yeah but yeah no it's all right it's our first sort of palace murder so you're going for a three i think so okay so four and a three is three and a half points out of 10 for final moments. Next category is battle hardness. It's how good was he at fighting, at wars, conquest, all that sort of jazz. So listen, overall cool. Like he stopped the rebellion in Egypt and in Babylon and ensured that Babylon wouldn't rebel anymore and kept the empire relatively safe and did what his father Mm -hmm. told him to do, which was burn Athens to the ground. So, like, mission yeah. accomplished. But also... But also... What was yeah. that whole campaign? What happened? I mean... Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we agree. Because, I mean, it, it was pretty successful... Yeah. All the way up, up to Salamis. He made it all the way down to Athens... Taking tribute from cities, burning lands. And then... So that was good. What happened, buddy? What was yeah. going on? Yeah, I just feel bad because it, yeah. it was really well thought out. Like, he had the whole plan in order. And he had the really upper well. hand. Like, you know, it was really well organized and the show of power was really impressive and the engineering to get there and just, you know, what happened? Yeah. Is it just Sorry, them Xerxes. underestimating Greece over and over? I don't think it's so much them underestimating Greece. I think it's... I mean, it, it might be, but I think it's that Greece is very different from what they're used to. Because if you look at the coast of Syria and Palestine, mm-hmm. that area is very nice and straight. And the Phoenicians are used to nice open coasts and that sort of thing. Right. And also they had big, large ships, which they're used to, for example, fight the Egyptians the last time they had to use ships and... That's a nice, clean coast. Mm-hmm. While in Greece, again, it's all scraggly. There's all little rocks. There's little isthmuses and gulfs and all that sort of thing. And Fair. Either they just weren't ready for that. Or also there's the idea that maybe Themistocles actually did set a trap. Maybe he, yeah. you know, he wasn't actually switching sides. He just set a trap and, oh, outsmarted Xerxes in this case. And, well, that was Which, all that mattered. Fair. Yeah, that might have happened. Also, the Athenians violently shaking Sparta by the lapels, yeah. asking them to please come and help us, goddammit. We have also to do this together. Like, we also don't like you, but come on. <laughs> yeah, like, if the Peloponnesian city-states decided, oh, no, it's not our fight, well, then yeah. that's game over. Then it wouldn't have been their fight. Well, it might have, you know, they might have come for them later. I mean, it might have been eventually. And then there's also the idea to consider that Greece is kind of abnormal compared to the rest of the empire. Like, even holding Greece in the future would have been very difficult. Because it's not directly connected to the rest of the landmass that the empire is. It is across a sea. Also, there's the fact that in Greece you would have had to 
deal with all the little city-states. You're going back to pre-Darius Empire. Mm. Because then you need to you need to look at the city-states and you say, okay, Thebes was on our side, so they're not technically our subjects. They're our allies. Right. Athens disobeyed us. Okay, let's do that. Yeah. Oh, wait, but Thebes hates this other city-state that so we're allied we, with. Yeah. What are we going to do with these? So now you have to deal with that. It's a massive pain in the neck. And Greece isn't even, you know, it's not like Mesopotamia or Egypt yeah. where it's a nice, rich Which area. Is that's not, it's just not worth money. it. Not worth the trouble. Yeah, it's not worth it. Right. Which is why Xerxes eventually decided, fine, I'll just stay at home. It's okay. I'll just not do this then. Fine. Yeah. So overall, on the plus side for Xerxes is his campaigns in Central Asia, victories against the Egyptians and the Babylonians, starting victories in the Greek campaign, but then, of course, there's the elephant in the room, the final defeat of that yes. and the loss of a pretty hefty army. So what are you going with? I'm not too low, but not especially high. Well, no, it wouldn't be fair well. to rate him low on this. Because again, he did really amazing things. It's just there's this massive problematic campaign. Yeah, it's just how it ends. But also, like you said, Augustus in the Roman Empire also had a similar goal, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the empire was, it was effectively reaching its maximum extension. Yeah. Like, beyond that, it starts to become logistically complicated to hold an empire together. Which is also, again, why the Romans didn't move into Germania, because it's not worth it. Yeah. They defeated us once, so it's too much work. We can just deal with them diplomatically, and that'll be easier. That's what the Achaemenists decide to do. It might make us look a little bit bad in the fact that they defeated us and we didn't retaliate. And that gives yeah, a, that that's embarrassing, a bad of course. That's message, nice, right? But... but if it's so much trouble and it's not going to be worth it because the land is also not that rich and you don't really want to, you know. Mm -hmm. I guess it makes sense with some nuance and some thought put into it. So, what are you aiming for? I for think I'll give him... Oh, as always, I don't remember what I gave anyone else. So, uh, <laughs> six? I'll let you know. Six is what you gave Cambyses, the conqueror of Egypt. I mean, but Xerxes reconquered Egypt and Babylon. Yeah, fair enough. So, I'm not saying no, I'm just giving you a reference. Yeah, I think a six. Uh, you know what, I think that's fair. Hey! I'm also going for a six. Because also Cambyses... He did have a few false starts with Nubia and all that, yeah. and had a small conquest. And oh, yeah. He did manage to hold the empire together and ensure that it prospered. He tried a foreign expedition, technically worked, but... Exactly. And and listen, I'm still waiting for, like, the terrible years when we inevitably have trouble. So, so far we haven't lost much of the We're empire. We're still in the golden age. Yeah. We're doing very well. So, six and six is 12 out of 20 for battle hardness. That sounds fair. Next category is scheminess. How schemy is this man? We don't have too much scheminess. Let me think through it. Not really. Well, the one thing is that we sort of have... I mean, not, not much, Not really, Because no. we sort of have the schemy story. The wife story? The one at the end with Herodotus and but the like, wife. But that's not even schemy. That's just, there. That's <laughs> just selfish and it's a weird story yeah. and that's it. Like It's not even that he's like, oh, I'm going to do this plan. So then like... He just happens to fall yeah, in love just... with the daughter and then to do that. I... Yeah, just a dumb plan. <laughs> Otherwise, another option is making his commander sleep in his clothes to get the same dream. I don't Does think that, that sounds a scheme. <laughs> and besides that, he's not... Yeah, he's just pretty by the books, honestly. He's... I, think yeah, I can't I'll think of any reason to give him a... Zero. 
I don't know. Yeah, I'd go for zero as well because yeah. there's nothing that really. Darius took all the scheminess son. points. Sorry. Yeah. There's nothing left. <laughs> yeah, Darius had 20. There was nothing left for his son. So zero out of 20 for scheminess is Xerxes' score. Excellent. Next is Shock Factor. Shock Factor, he sort of has a bit more. Because, well, he pretty much annihilated Babylon. Yeah. <laughs> ensuring that it's still a good I'm city, still, still important and everything. I'm still thinking of the, the statue of Marduk. That was bad. <laughs> yeah, the statue of Marduk has been melted down. And the priests will be asking every king for the next 200 years to please give them funds to rebuild their statue. And it's like a constant thing every king oh. has to deal with. Oh my god. I mean, they should just Although do everybody it. will mostly ignore the priests. Yeah, because if they keep asking, but they'll just be like, Hey, can we have our statue back? It's like, no. Oh. So statue melting. The fact that he sort of is a bit more pushy with his religious uh, views. Yeah. Like in the steppe, he tries to push a bit more for that. In Egypt, he isn't crowned in the traditional manner. Yes. Which might have been retaliation for the rebellion. But yeah, probably. Eh, no. And then, if you want to give any points for the scandalous Herodotus story at the end. I'm not inclined to give many of them, because it's just too unbelievable. I don't know if maybe one point just because it exists, but it just feels so slanderous and scandalous that, yeah, just has too much. I mean, some points for the Marduk statue, because I'm still thinking about it. I'm giving a few, definitely. Also, what happened with the oil? We don't know. It just stopped filling, and the sarcophagus was forgotten forever. The sarcophagus went home happy that it had cursed Xerxes. I mean, he did lose the campaign, yeah. but like... That's it. You know. He lost the campaign and was murdered. Which, frankly, as prophecy... Well, he was go. murdered years after, right? Yeah, sure, but that's how prophecies work. Come on. They come to haunt you after you've had a long, fulfilling life. <laughs> so, shock factor, I'd say... Uh, I'd say like three-ish points for Marduk and destroying Babylon. And another... One yeah. point for Egypt and the religion. One point for maybe the story. So uh, yeah, I'd say five. Yeah, I actually agree. You agree with a five? I agree with you. Yeah. Okay, so five and five Go for Shock five. Factor gives us a 10 out of 20, which is reasonably high. It's one, two, three. It's our fourth highest score. So that's pretty good. Okay. Eh. Yeah, sure. Next category is Aaron Shine. So how good was Fee for the Empire? He is sometimes called, according to Wikipedia, Xerxes the Great. So, do you think... Right, I understand now <laughs> the debate. Do you think it's worth it? Do you think he did a good enough job? How, how good uh, is he? I think he was Xerxes the okay. Yeah, that's my agreement as well. Because He didn't destroy everything, which is already a feat, you yeah. know, with such a big empire. And he definitely didn't destroy everything just for doing nothing. But like he actively helped to not destroy everything with putting down the rebellions yeah. and such, which could have been really dangerous. And then, uh, you know, yeah. he tried to expand the empire and couldn't. Yeah. So, and he continued with all the projects that Darius had started yeah. for monuments and culture. So, you know. Foreign policy-wise, he managed to expand a bit in Central Asia, try to invade Greece, but lost Europe. So, not great. Mm-hmm. But he managed to hold the empire together through a series of rebellions that popped up. As you mentioned before, he did manage to continue building a lot of the building projects that Darius had started. He has the beautiful palace complex in Persepolis. Yes. He encouraged trade across the empire. He had encouraged urbanization in the borders of the empire. So, overall, it's doing reasonably well. You know, the empire is stable and prosperous at the moment. 
I think Xerxes is pretty good. I think he also kind of suffers from the fact that he's after Darius and he didn't really yeah. leave him much left to do. Like, there's nothing you have to reform in the empire. You're just handed a squeaky clean empire that was just ready built. And... Yeah, it's like, just don't yeah, destroy it. The, the idea it. is, okay, bye. don't touch it much and it'll do what it has to. And Xerxes continued to do a reasonably good job. I think yeah. in this, he's sort of a bit like... Um, Again, to move towards Tetalus Rankium, a bit like Antoninus Pius, <laughs> where he doesn't do yes. much interesting stuff, but he does what has to be but done for the Empire to job run. At, exactly. Great job at not breaking everything. Which apparently, as we will find out eventually, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, I mean, there are times <laughs> when things will just break apart because you have an incompetent ruler that does everything wrong, but Xerxes is competent. He's doing what he has to. He's okay as a king the empire is still so in its golden xerxes age the okay yeah, xerxes the pretty good like i said yeah so how would you translate xerxes the pretty good into a score i'd say a six or a seven i'm just i'm biased to giving more points just by the fact that nothing is going to f i mean that's a good start i live with the it? fear of the decline <laughs> of this empire and we're right at the beginning so I think I'm going to go a bit higher, honestly, because there is also the fact that he got murdered without having an heir chosen, so that... Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's not his fault, but still. But it is. It's a little bit. It's not, but it is. I am, like, yeah. Because yeah. you should do the thing, yeah. you know, because you don't know where you're going to die, so, like, you should just... Yeah, I'm somewhere between, like, a prepare. seven and an eight. I don't mm. know what... Um, hmm, seven and an eight. I'll go for a seven if you go for an eight. Okay, fine. Let's do that. So I'll give him an 8, you give him a 7. Or a bit higher. Yeah. So overall, Xerxes got a 15 out of 20 for Aaron Shine Because he did a pretty good job. Just not very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that checks yeah. out. Next category is Face of Faces. What did this man look like? So, Serial. Looking forward to see what you have. And I will be able to show you two versions. The historical version in his palace in Persepolis which we used as one of our promo images, actually. And then oh, how he is portrayed in the feature film movie 300. Oh, fun. So you can see how close they got to what you think he looks like. I uh, see. Yes. I still need to watch that movie. We should watch it and make a mini episode. Yes, we can discuss or, you know, <laughs> what it's like. Review. They make Sparta look a lot better than they actually did. There's not somebody begging Sparta every three seconds. Please, guys, come on. Just help us out. You have one job, please. You do one thing. Yeah, I thought Sparta the, was like, just yes, fight. war. An opportunity to prove our <laughs> soldiers are amazing. Let's do it. You and, don't produce reality, any art. Like... You only do war. Please do that one thing. <laughs> Thank you. So we'll see. So funny. Okay, so Serial sent me their drawing of Xerxes. <laughs> and it is You're welcome. a beautiful drawing of Xerxes in bed having a terrible, terrible dream <laughs> about two massive eyes saying, go to Athens. And Xerxes being appropriately freaked out. I don't know why I chose that moment, but I did. <laughs> but he looks very nice. I like him. Good curly beard. Strong. Nice long Atlantis Yay. fingers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Atlantis slash Secret of Kells inspiration for the hands. True. And a spiky crown, which is always fancy. So that is an excellent Xerxes, and eh, fair enough. I like the long hair, beard. 
some earrings, which are cool. So, very nice. Thank Not you. a very nice night for him, but hey. There we go. And let me show you what he looks like in Persepolis. What he displays himself as. Just to say, cool. Ooh, that's awesome. Really nice relief. Here is Xerxes, king of kings. Describe the man. It's really cool. It's a side profile of relief, but full body of him sitting on a throne or some kind of chair. The hair and the beard textures are really, really good because it's just like little tiny curls. Very satisfying. Long beard, hair put up in some kind of mid-length hairdo. Some kind of hat slash crown. And then he's holding... He has a really cool robe and he's holding a chalice and a staff. I yeah, think. Basically, he's holding a flower, ah. a flower that represents kingship. Sorry, yes. And the, yeah, this sort of staff, which uh, yeah, which is another attribute of kingship that he has with himself. And here he is presiding the court, seeing the tribute that is being brought to him and being the king that he's supposed to be. Excellent. Now, are you ready for the Xerxes in 300? I know the Xerxes in 300. I've... Do you? Through pop culture, it has arrived ah, to my yeah. brain. But let's see him. Well, here's a picture and tell us about him. <laughs> oh my god, this poor man. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, the style kind of rocks, honestly, because instead of clothes, he's just wearing different kinds of chains of gold. I assume it's gold. The image is very sure. sepia-colored, because apparently that movie has no colors. But yeah, he's just wearing a bunch of metal as decoration. So, like, 300 different necklaces. And some kind of armor looking like over the shoulder, one pauldron kind of thing. And then a bajillion piercings as well, like on his nose and his ears and his face and on the head. He's bald and has no beard, you know, it's a big change. Which is weird. Um, but I guess I, it's a look, honestly. <laughs> I don't think it's accurate at all. And I why mean, would anybody in this situation wear this? But I would. <laughs> it looks good. <laughs> <laughs> okay next cosplay edition <laughs> dress up as 300 Xerxes <laughs> if I ever decide to shave my head again so there we are with the image of Xerxes himself so what do you think about his appearance I'm uh, pretty impressed quite like how his uh, well, I love the how portrait. the carving looked how it... first of all it's contemporary so that's extra points always yes definitely and it's a really good portrait. It's inside a palace he built, yeah. which is always good. That's really awesome. I think, I guess he looked kind of like what I expected. So I'd give him like an eight. An eight? Okay. Hmm. What do you think? I think I'm going to go with a nine. Because I'm going to match my Darius. Yeah, actually, no, same. No, wait. No, no, no. I'm going to go for an eight, actually. Oh, why? <laughs> going back, because Darius is showing himself dominating the nine kings he submitted. That's true. That was a power move But also. it is slightly lower quality. I think No, I think nine is fair, yeah, actually. Yeah, I will go for a nine as I'll well. I'll go back on my going back. Okay, so a nine and a nine gives us a 4.5 out of five for Face of Faces. I assume it's one of the best portraits we're going to get. It's really cool. Yeah, it is very nice. So At least of this era, you know. The fact that we still have it and that it's in a palace that he built and it's like, yes, this is I. Yeah, it's very nice. It's cool. So next category is lengthiness. How long do you think this man reigned? 
How long did it feel? I was not paying attention to the dates. <laughs> but you said, we mentioned that he started at like 40 years old. Thereabouts. So, 20 years? No, 10 years? Uh, right the first time, actually. Oh. It's 21 years of reign. I don't know why, I thought that was 486 too long. From 486 but... to 465 BC. Interesting. These kings are surprisingly long-lived. And he didn't even die of natural causes. Yeah, so. he was murdered, but like... He started reigning when he was 40. And he still reigned 20 years. And did all the things. So... Yeah, it was a good deal. Yeah, so Xerxes, that's 2.1 points out of 5 for lengthiness. Excellent. Which leads us to a total score of 47.1 out Ooh. of 100. Which makes him the... The fifth most rated ruler just after Cyrus, which Ooh, sounds weird to strange, say, but yeah. Cyrus is always is just so good that he doesn't have much drama. Yeah, yeah. He's, that's true, that's true. Yeah. Cyrus didn't get that high Just of before a Cyrus yeah, and just yeah, yeah. after his diet. We do love Cyrus. It's yeah, just, just after for, to win this podcast, you need to have it all. He's good, but not dramatic. I think Cyrus stands a better chance in the final showdown yes. when we choose the best king, but yeah, for now. But we're not choosing attributes for the best king with our categories, are we? No, of course. We're choosing the juiciest yes. king. <laughs> That's what we're going for. Which leads us to the final question, which is to say, is Xerxes interesting enough, fascinating enough, bellicose enough, mythical enough to be called a Shahanshah? Or does he just fall short and is a Shah? Well, I think he makes it. I mean, with the battles with Athens and the whole thing that happened in Greece, and I feel like, you know, if he was famous enough to make a movie with him in it <laughs> i feel like he deserves it fair enough. if anything to put up with that look they gave him <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i mean my xerxes i'm i think he's middle good i was also kind of unsure if to give it to him or not before signing well, the i guess that's why he's sometimes the great yeah he's sometimes the great but only sometimes uh, yeah i think he is pretty good he managed to uphold his father's empire he is at least famous through, you know, the whole Persian mm -hmm. War story. That's good, I guess. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I guess fine. What have you yeah. done in the Persian story, huh? Uh. <laughs> but yeah, so I think it's good enough that if you're willing to give it to him, I'll accept giving him making yes. him a Shah and Shah. Thank you. Okay, so congratulations, Xerxes. You're a Shah and Shah. You can go tell your father <laughs> that you made him proud. You went back to Athens to kick their butts. You did burn it to the ground. You can omit the rest of it, but it's fine. Victory noises. Yay! So congratulations, Xerxes. You are our one, two, three, fourth. Only fourth, Shahansha. Wow. Thought more. But yeah. yeah, we haven't had nice. any. You're joining Saixaris, Cyrus, and Darius. So you're yes. in good company, gotta say. But uh, very nice. So congratulations, Xerxes. And as always, we reserve the right to go back in our word and redo this if necessary. But, but probably not. I mean, worst case, I think that at the end, if we have weird numbers, we can see if there's anybody want to kick out or kick up. But we'll see. And yeah, and this is the end of the Xerxes episode. And probably for most people listening, the kings you know about. Because I don't know about you, but for me, after Xerxes, my history book just shifts to Greece for 150 years uh. and then stops paying attention to anything happening east of Greece. So it was very um. interesting for me to go through the following kings because they're the ones I heard barely anything about. And so it was 
pretty much entirely new territory. So I'm, I'm excited to go there next time. And I'm excited to continue learning because I knew nothing. So <laughs> yay! <laughs> and yeah, just minor spoiler alert. Our next king is going to be Artaxerxes the first. So we'll see what happens right. to get him into power. What happened to Darius and the other guy that I already forgot his name? <laughs> <laughs> Most people do. But yeah, we'll find uh, out what happens. When the king is murdered, there are consequences. I see. Oh, oh no. Oh no. But then how did art sex? Okay, whatever. We're going to, we will find out. <laughs> yes, you'll find out a lot. But yeah, so that is the end of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed hey. listening to our podcast so far, we're almost up to 10 episodes. Hooray! So please review us. Uh, give us a nice review if you thought it was nice, if you've enjoyed spending your time with us. And Tell stay tuned friends. for the next Kings that not many people know about. Because, well, what happens to the Empire now? Who knows? I'll be happy to be not the only one who has no idea what's going on. <laughs> and at least there will be more people who also don't know what's going on. Very excited. Catch us next week. And thank you so much for listening. Take care. Yeah, thanks a lot. Have a nice day. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>